0: Oh Lord, we ask that you would come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and fill each and every one of us with that fresh breath of your peace and joy as your people. Lord, that as we look at what it means to be your people, that we would look at this passage with new eyes and new hearts. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts and hands to serve so that we would demonstrate in a modern sense what it means to be your church in our day. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, when you think about it, this series throughout the fall has asked the question implicitly, what, is, what are the basic Christian beliefs that we have? What, what is it that may, defines us as Christians? And so we've used this outline of the Apostles' Creed, to answer that question. And so we've, we've discussed what we believe about the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the past three weeks, and now the Creed turns us to what do we believe the Church is? What does the Church do? Okay, In the phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Well, we believe the Church is holy. Well, what does that mean? Holy is like God is holy. It's separate. It's beautiful. Well, that doesn't necessarily describe me or you. I I understand. However, in Christ it does. Because that's the beauty of the gospel, is it not? When a person places their trust in Christ, we are holy. We are righteous. We're celebrating the Reformation all month long. Where we believe as that great doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone was rediscovered by an Augustinian monk in Germany in the 1500s. He discovered that we are righteous. And it recovered that great, beautiful, because it's the truth of the gospel. It's in the scriptures. We believe it. And therefore, we are too holy. So that's what it means. And notice in our our communion liturgy, each and every time we have communion together, uh, especially on feast days, and the communion service, the reformers put in at the very beginning of the service the summary of the law, because that's the question of life, right? Lord, what's wh- how should we live? You know, what's it mean to be right with God? What is it? You know, what are we to do? And Jesus looks at him and says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself." Well, that does two things, right? When we come into the assembly together, for for the believer, we go. Huh, did I do that this week? Did I really love you, Lord? Did I really love my neighbor? And for most of us, it's a little convicting because we recognize we fall short. But we also recognize in Christ, we're welcome. We come to be fed and we welcome to the table, right? And for the non-believer, Luther did it very intentionally. For the non-believer, they go, huh? You know, what are you talking about? Love the Lord your God. What do you mean about love your neighbor? Of course I love my neighbor. Really? Okay? And so... you wrestle with the holiness of God, but in Christ we are holy. So that's what it means in that phrase to be holy. What does it mean for us to be Catholic? Some of you go, yes, see, I told you, we are Catholic. (laughs) And others say, well, we're not Catholic, you know. Uh, What does that mean? Well, you know, it's a Latin word. You know, it goes all the way back to the ancient church. Catholic means universal. Because up until the time of the Reformation... We were the church Catholic, universal, people who confess faith in Christ worldwide. And that's what it means that I have relationships with brothers and sisters all over the globe. And it's just that's one of the great things about being part of the Anglican communion is that we are a global church. And last but not least, it's the communion of saints that we believe in. And that means that this, it's a fellowship of, of saints living and dead and in the future that we commune with. We have fellowship with one another. So how is that lived out? And so I had to choose a text. This was a little bit of a challenge, you know, to work from. But I think I found it in Ephesians chapter 2. So I invite you to open up with me in this Bible, which in your Bibles. And if you're visiting with us, you'll notice in the back of your bulletins because I think this text really does get at this aspect of what it means to believe in the church, Catholic, and the communion of saints. Because what this text teaches us is that in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, when a person has placed their trust in Jesus, there's a radical new identity, number one, which gives you a radical, wonderful, supernatural community, all right? So, one, a radical new identity, which gives you two, a radical supernatural community. And so we see this in the case study of Jew and Gentile that's going on in Ephesus. Verse 14 of chapter 2. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Well, what what, what dividing wall of hostility is Paul talking about there in Ephesus? Well, there's this case study that's going on. Like every city in the Roman Empire, there was a Jewish community that had been dispersed for years and had gone all over what is now the Roman Empire at the writing of this letter. And in the church now, there's also Gentiles, because some of these Jews became believers in Jesus, and some of these Gentiles became believers in Jesus. And that creates a tension. Paul in verse 14, however, is not talking about that. He's talking about the dividing wall that's naturally ours if we try to earn our own salvation. If we try to do it our way, and that's what we all try to do apart from the regenerating work of Christ in our lives. But when we place our work and life in Christ, that wall is gone. So we have no hostility wall between us and God, but what about one another? Because in Ephesus, there was a problem I want you to think of it this way. You are a devout Jew. You've been taught since the womb that we're God's people and we're called forth to be a blessing to the world. And our lives reflect that blessing in the relationship that we have with the Lord. Therefore, we eat clean. We don't eat pork barbecue, we don't eat shrimp. We don't eat lobster. We don't eat mussels and oysters and all those things. Those Gentiles eat. Those pigs, those dogs. And that's what's going on. Alright? And what's happening is the, the Gentiles look at the Jews as snobs. And the Jews look at the Gentiles as just immoral hedonists. Because when they had a potluck back then, guess what happened? <laughs> those pagans draw what is the equivalent to American pork barbecue from South Carolina, and it's really good, you know? You know? And the Jews are like, ah! right? That's a dividing wall in their culture in the church, and Paul's recognizing, look, in Christ, those are just erased, those dividing walls. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The law he's talking about is the law, and you know, every time the word the law is used, you're talking about the Torah in Hebrew, that means law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where all the, the food laws, the ceremonial laws, they're all broken down, they're all gone. And Paul's reminding them, because you have this radical new identity in God and Christ, you have a radical new identity as his people together. You are now one. So here's the principle for us. Because here's what, here's what everybody does. We, we, we tend to compare ourselves to others. And whatever we do well, it becomes our source of pride. It might be, you know, you, you have great pride in your in your culture, your race, your your social position, your education, your, your physical fitness level, your looks, whatever it might be. Um, we bolster our self-esteem by comparing ourselves to others. C.S. Lewis says, people aren't proud of being rich, they're proud of being more rich than another person. Okay? We do that. Alright? And in, 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 in other words, it's superiority to the different that we naturally do as people. I want you to imagine if you're a great violinist here in Avon Lake. You know, and you're, you're really good, and, and you go on, you want to study music, so you go to the Indiana School of Music, phenomenal School of Music at the University of Indiana. And after you graduate, you say, I'm going to go to the Big Time, and I'm going to end up, I'm going to go to New York. Well, I've been to New York. And what you, that person would discover when they go to New York is when they're in that subway station, That bum who's playing at the subway station for quarters is better than you. I've seen them. They're amazing, you know? And they're trying to scratch out a living while they're waiting tables, playing in the subway, hoping to pick up a few bucks just to make their rent because you know what it costs to live in New York City, you know? Because everybody is good there, but here you're a big fish in a small pond. Oh... That's crushing, isn't it? Why? Because your identity is being in a violinist. But the reality is the gospel comes along to us and does surgery to our hearts. And it breaks down those dividing walls between us and God, but also between one another. Verse 16. That Jesus might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See what the Lord's doing in us and through us? The people who were far away, the Gentiles, were brought close to be one with the people who are near, Paul says, that's the Jews. You know, the immorals brought together with the pure, and the superiority, the superiority to the different, is broken down because we do this. We're, we're the superiority to the different. You know, we think ourselves so moral. God will bless us. Those people, they're just lost. And the gospel says, no, you're, they're not, you're not any better than they are. Gospel says, you're no better than the thief, the drug dealer, the drug manufacturer. And on the other hand, if you're the pillar of the community, you're the president of the Kiwanis Club, the PTA the key club and you mow your grass at three and a half inches just perfect the gospel says you're all lost and you need a savior and you see when you recognize that and you place your trust in christ it humbles you it keeps you humble and the gospel doesn't leave you there he picks you up in verse 16 Amen. may reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility Paul writes in Second Corinthians 5.21, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. If that's not humbling, I don't know what is. Because God treated Jesus as sin needed to be treated, all of human hatred, all of human jealousy. He was treated the way you and I need to be treated. And we were treated. God treats us in the way Jesus treated to be was to be deserved to be treated. So God looks at you and says, "My son, my daughter." And we have an identity that's received. It's not achieved. It's a gift. It doesn't go up and down based on my performance in the Christian life. Why? Because it's received. It's not something I can achieve so that's what it means to be Christian. And oh, you don't stop being Anglo. <laughs> you don't stop uh, being black or Hispanic. But those are all secondary to your main identity, which is in Christ. A violinist is no longer a violinist. That's secondary. Their identity is in Christ. A business owner is no longer a business owner. That's secondary to who they are in Christ. The rich person is no longer having their identity, how much money they have, and therefore they can give it away because their identity is in Christ. And it humbles us, and you find yourself not looking down on people. If you do find yourself looking down on people, just look at the cross. It will help keep that perspective, and it will destroy your hostility for anyone. And if you're struggling with that, if it doesn't, then you haven't realized what Jesus has done yet for you. And so, you'll find that, especially when you come inside the church, what you have is a bunch of brothers and sisters who are deeply different than you are, but you have an infinite spiritual bond. And it's beautiful. And you can be their friend, no matter their race, no matter their educational level, no matter their social status, no matter their interests. And we can be agents of reconciliation to the world because of this radical new identity that God has given to us that breaks down the barrier between us and God. And therefore, what happens when that all occurs, it, it creates a supernatural community. In verse 19, Paul gives in his last paragraph of chapter 2 three metaphors for the church. All right? First, in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Okay? You're a citizen. Now, yes, you're a citizen of Avon Lake, of Bay, of Avon, you know, somewhere across the West Shore, Cleveland, wherever you are. You're, you're a resident of Ohio. You're an American. Of course you are. Yes. But you have a higher citizenship, according to this text. You're a citizen that supersedes of the heavenly city by virtue of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the first metaphor. Secondly, you're in God's family, the second half of that verse, and with the saints and members of the household of God. You have God as your heavenly Father. He's not just your king. He's also your heavenly dad. And that means we've been brought into a family with people that have brothers and sisters. And I have brothers and sisters. And it's being added to each and every day. It's a beautiful thing. And beyond that, you keep going down to verse 21. It says, "...in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." This third image tells us that we're like building blocks. We're stones and that the Holy Spirit inhabits us. Now, did you notice each of these metaphors uh, ascend into a greater relational intensity to God? A citizen lives in the same country as the king. Uh, A son or a daughter lives in the same home with the father. But in the temple imagery... God dwells within you. He doesn't just live near you. As we place our trust in Jesus Christ, He lives in us. And so in relationship with others, we're we're citizens in the kingdom, yes, and in the family, yes, in our lived out experiences, but we also have God living in us. And as the church, we're cemented together. I don't know how much closer you can get than that, quite frankly. You know, a great example of this is a story that Tim Keller tells of his wife Kathy when they first got to Redeemer Presbyterian in the early 90s. One of their kids needed rollerblades. Now, Kathy Keller is five foot one, and, and she, she goes into this inline skate shop in Manhattan in the early 90s. You know, and and these are her words for herself. She was dressed as the dowdy Presbyterian minister's wife. Okay? Just imagine it. She goes into this skate shop in Manhattan where, behind the counter, stands an over-six-foot guy of undistinguishable race, Australian accent, dreadlocks, all tatted up with body piercings everywhere. But on his ring, and this is like we can learn a lot from other brothers and sisters from other denominations, this, she, she gossips the gospel better than anybody I've ever heard of. And she saw a ring on his finger with the ichthus, the fish symbol, of uh, the Christian symbol. And so she looks at him and goes, oh, you know, some, uh, some people wear that to signify to Christians that they're Christians. And the guy goes, oh, I am a Christian. She goes, wonderful. That's great. My husband and I just moved to New York and we're planning a church. And he goes, what's the name of that church? And he's, she said, Redeemer Presbyterian. And he said, oh, that's my f- I have friends that go to that church. That's a wonderful church. I hear it all about it. I'll have to visit you. And they start talking to one another. The six foot five aborigine from Australia with a dowdy Presbyterian and the whole shop is looking at them? Because They don't look like they have anything in common. They're talking to one another like the long lost brother and sister. And you want to know why? Because they were. And they are. Okay? When you're united to Christ, in Jesus, verse 22, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We don't live the Christian life in isolation. You can't. It's impossible. so what this text is telling us is that no matter our differences, you have an infinitely deep spiritual bond with one another if you just give it a chance. And I'm not saying the church universal does this well. And I'm not saying Christ Church does this well. But I am saying that we are capable of this level of community. We are. So the question is and becomes then, are any of these metaphors descriptive of your relationship with one another at Christ Church? Do these metaphors fit in with the typical, you know, suburban American church attender who attends, eh, when they want? You know, it's an option. I think I'm going to do this instead. Of course not. You see, the church is described here as a community, as a family. You know, and the one thing about family, they know you. My brother could tell you stories. I can tell you stories. So can yours, right? You know, your family knows you. And Hebrews, they know all your flaws and faults. And when my mom gets together with my kids, oh, she tells them all about me. Yeah, I I, I it's, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to exhort one another every day. That passage, and quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the entire Bible is assuming that each and every one of us are in denial of our worst sins, number one. And two, we ought to be in relationships with others who can speak into our lives and are capable and and we are letting them at a brother and a sister level because we're known, okay? And not just my big sins, but those habitual sins that harden my heart. And, And that someone can speak into my life and tell me about them. Is that happening in you? Uh, and let me just say, it ain't going to happen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or, or Snapchat either, all right? Um, those social media is a great way to control what other people think about you. I can hide there. But you can't d- I can't do that my family. Just talk to Bo. It's, it's, see, going to a building is not the same as belonging to a church. So how do we do that? That's the question, right? How do we do that? Well, the New Testament gives us some ideas on how to build this space into our lives in the 59 one-anothers. I'm not going to read all 59, I promise you, but I'm going to read some of them, and I just want you to hear these. We are called because... The hostility wall has been broken down between us and God. We have peace with God in Christ. We have peace with one another, and therefore we're called to love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, equip one another, exhort one another, devoted to one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another. Accountable to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Agree with one another. Meet with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble with one another. Be compassionate with one another. Build trust with one another. I'll stop there for a second. You know, how do you build trust with somebody? Well, that assumes that you're close enough to somebody that they might betray you. Um, you build trust because people keep coming through for you, right? right? So you trust them, which means that you'll need to be close enough for you to trust them with something that they can come through with. Which means you're not just going to get that by just an hour on Sunday morning. You know, if, if you got to get to know people. And once you know someone's story, you're much more likely to have these one another's. The empathy, the compassion. And at every stage of life, it's going to look different, I know. But I want us to let the word challenge us. And again, you're not going to get this on Facebook. You know? Yeah, it's a wonderful tool. It's a... Life-sucking, you know, time-killing black hole that it becomes, right? We know it's true. Uh, Friends, how about this? Do do not anger one another. I probably just angered some of you now. Um, Do not lie to. Do not grumble to. Give preference to. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another be at peace with one another carry one another's burdens all that all those are impossible if all we do is operate um, the way most professing christians do in our culture you can't do that unless you belong to a church and you're not called to to do the one another's perfectly either friends we we, we, but we pursue them. We pursue doing this with one another. This is the battleground, the community, where we commit to working out the one another's. Where is the space that I'm going to put down roots and work this out with one another. Now, I'd like to propose three reasons why people don't pursue these. All right, Here's my observations. First, I've had people say, well, you know, I'd love to be part of the church. But, you know, the church has let me down. Me too. All right? Welcome to the club. We're filled with people. You know? You people have been with me for 10, I've been here for 10 years. Right? And some of you were with me when I first got here in 2007. Did you know our attendance since we've left our previous location is down 33%? People will look you in the eye They will say, I'm with you, Gene. They'll sign the statement of faith. They'll stand up, and then they just drift away. And when you call them, they don't return your phone call. They don't return your phone calls. They just drift away. They're not going anywhere. If you're with people, life is messy. But I got news for you. We got 150-ish something people every Sunday. I thank God for every one of you. And this is all we got. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with people just leaving without giving, you know, can can I have an exit interview? You know? You know? Can we just just talk? You know? You you call yourself a Christian? Really? How does that match up with what Paul's saying in Ephesians? The church, if you do life, people will hurt you. Because we're family. Right? But we forgive and we move forward. That's what we do. Secondly, I have had people say, well, let me think, before I move on to the next point, you know, praise God there are no perfect churches, right? This is not a perfect church, right? But praise God there aren't any, because if there were, where would we belong, right? You know, because I don't want to be the one who comes in and blows the whole thing up, you know? Uh, You know, Gene comes into a church, hey, I want to join this church. (laughs) (laughs) I I would, I would. Right, I'd ruin it. As soon as I arrive, so would you. You know, come on. There's no perfect church, so the church. Yeah, me too. Secondly, uh, I've had I've had some people say, you, "You don't want me. My life is such a mess. You know, uh, I, I'll make it worse." Both of those are, are the same coin of opposite sides. You know. Um and so in both of these are based on a misunderstanding of one's self, one's sin. You know, uh, well, guess what? You're not good enough? Neither am I. Just come on, the, the, the church can use one more hypocrite. You know? Third, the only reason people don't do this level of community is because of pride. And that's pride to the Lord first. I'm not willing to submit myself to him and not being willing to look at my schedule where I can build margin in to make room for others into it. So therefore, what are we doing here? We believe in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints. Doing life together, marinating together. That's a little messy. And the Bible says all throughout Proverbs, read the book of Proverbs, if a person is unwilling to live life in this way, the Bible would call that person a fool. You see, I need you. I, I, I need people, to, to others to speak into my life where I can be stronger in the Lord. You know, we need people that you know, I can love my wife more faithfully, love my children, uh, be a better father. Be a better grandfather. I don't know how to be a grandfather. How do you be a grandfather? I've never been one before. Yeah, I'm going to be a grandfather. I got the gray hair for it. I don't have the countenance for it, you know? Um, How can I serve the Lord and balance work and family? Uh, How can I? You see, when, when you invite others to help you in the walk with the Lord, it's what we do. So my question in closing to you, ladies and gentlemen, is... A Max Licato quote. Max says Questions that we have of the Lord can make us hermits, driving us into hiding, yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage in community, dissipates doubts through fellowship. Let me say it again Questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding, yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage and community, dissipates doubts through fellowship. The answer for our lives in the Christian walk, ladies and gentlemen, is not to go into isolation. Because when you're sick, your Twitter followers will not be there for you. The communion of saints will be there for you when you're in trouble. And when you're disappointed by the church you're struggling with a particular issue in your walk with Christ, you can say, thank God, I have that problem too. Because sin would have you believe you're too far gone. Sin would have you believe that no one struggles with with what you struggle with. So two questions as we close up here today. How are you living out the one another's? Is it, you know, showing up? Once a month, twice a month when you have duty. You know, or even every Sunday. Yeah. You know, friends, if we don't go a little deeper, that's unfortunate. You're robbing yourself of so much. We have wonderful group ministries, but not every group ministry that we have might meet your needs. You let me know. You let one of the vestry know. You let one of the equipping ministry team members know. We'll create, God willing, a community for you to live doubt these one another's with. And two, in what ways are you creating space so that relationship with others might deepen? That's what Paul is calling us to. Because in Jesus Christ, we have a radical new identity. And two, we have a radical supernatural community to do life together. May it be so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful that we have this opportunity. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as this word is deeply challenging and perhaps might make us uncomfortable, we know that that this comfort that we feel is kind of like a workout. That it might be painful in the present, but Lord, in the outset, would bear great results for us. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit, to live for you in our day, demonstrating the unity that we have in Christ, no matter our differences, and that we would shine your light and be a beautiful temple built together as a dwelling place for you by the Holy Spirit. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.